Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. Coming up, looks like you're in the middle of a breakup, and we are here to guide you through the hardship, the pain, the radical dye job you'll inevitably get, and the seafood pasta you will inevitably have for breakfast. I did do Carrie Underwood before he cheats as before she cheats, which was um, the angrier um, karaoke choice that I made. You know when you're looking at Frida Kahlo's lush still lifes, the ones with the abundant squash and papayas and watermelons full of seeds, and then you learn that she was tormented by being unable to bear children, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's what that butternut squash is all about. Our next guest is kind of like that. Last fall, Kayla Kumari Upaja started writing a regular column for the queer women's website Autostraddle. It was called For Your Consideration, and in it she recommended very specific activities or things that she enjoyed. They started out as kind of silly and innocuous, like buy a t-shirt from your favorite restaurant. But after recommendations like listen to a sad song over and over or eat pasta for breakfast because nothing matters, readers started to wonder if Kayla was doing okay. Here to talk about bringing your personal life to work is Auto Straddle staff writer Kayla Kumari Upaja. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell me about how the idea for this column came to be. Yeah, so um, I had been a bit in a writing rut, actually, um, at the beginning of last summer and wasn't writing a lot of the stuff that I felt like I wanted to write. And I kind of sat down one day and made this list of things that I wanted to write about. And they were all very random. And I didn't really have a through line for them, except that they were things that I enjoyed. Um, And they were all over the place from asking strangers for directions when I'm lost to eating pasta for breakfast. Um, So I kind of went to my editors and said, hey, I want to do this series kind of like the New York Times letter of recommendation, but different because me and it's for Autostraddle, so it's queer. And they were like, okay, yeah, let's see what you do with this. But it, I, my, the pitch was very vague. It was like, things I like. <laughs> and there was no through line among the things that you liked. Not at all. No. I didn't think. Right. But one you, emerged yes, over time. <laughs> one definitely started to emerge. How would you describe that through line? Yeah. I mean, I, it ended up being a series about my relationship and more specifically about the end of my relationship. Um, My relationship was in the process of ending. It was a very long, drawn-out ending. Um, But it became pretty clear that I was using the column to sort of process in real time, but also just trying to write towards something that I hadn't really figured out yet. And so talk to me about the first few columns that you published, Mm -hmm. which don't really delve into your emotional state or your relationship. (laughs) They do not. In fact, the very first one had more to do with something my friend had done. Um, She had accidentally liked somebody's Instagram post from a very long time ago. Um, And it was someone that she didn't know very well, was like maybe interested in, maybe not, but she liked that Instagram post and totally freaked out, changed her own name on Instagram. To to Frank B. Jones, (laughs) is that right? To Frank B. Jones. Cool. Just totally. Totally normal Frank B. Jones liking my old Instagram post. Yep. Um, and I just thought this was the funniest story ever. But I also had this conversation with her that was kind of like, well, what, what's the worst that would have happened if she had realized that you liked her post? I mean, what's the big deal about deep scrolling someone? We all do it. And so that was like 
actually having the idea to write about that was um, kind of the impetus for the column. I was like, I want to write about the things that we like that we don't really talk about liking. Mm -hmm. And that was the first one. So that didn't even really have to do with me, more so with my friend and just something I'd observed. Um, And then, yeah, I wrote a bunch of other kind of silly things like about restaurant merch. (laughs) Right. And these things, your personality starts to emerge and we get a sense of, oh, this is going to be a column that's very much built on your lived experiences. You write about uh, buying a T-shirt from a coffee shop that you've been frequenting for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then gradually you start writing about other things, for example, about how you um, go to karaoke every week. Yes. It's an it's a column in favor of being a regular at a karaoke spot. And you write, uh, you come to karaoke specifically not to cry, but this one time feels okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so little drips and drabs start emerging. Was that yeah. purposeful? I mean, it must have been before you hit publish, you must be deciding that that's okay to share. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the karaoke one was the first really vulnerable one. Um, and I think it's very telling that I chose to tell it in second person. Right. Um, so there's still some removal there because I still wasn't totally ready to write about my relationship and a lot of the specific stuff that was going on. I did make a very conscious decision to write that in second person um, to kind of step out of it a little bit. And my whole kind of idea with For Your Consideration is it's very intensely personal and definitely about me, but I am trying to open these things up to be a little more universal so that even if you aren't necessarily a karaoke regular somewhere, like you can still access certain kind of emotional truths in what I'm writing about being a karaoke regular. What is the best karaoke song? (laughs) The best karaoke song? Um, I don't know. I do a lot of Kelly Clarkson. I do Mm. a lot of Kelly Clarkson and then like any Lilith Fair artist. <laughs> I, I also frequent. It wouldn't be auto straddle without <laughs> Lilith Fair. Um, what about the best karaoke song for somebody going through a breakup? Yeah, I did a lot of breakup songs. I did a lot of Kelly Clarkson. I think she writes some of the best breakup songs. Um, Since You've Been Gone, Behind sure. These Hazel Eyes, Breakaway. Um, she kind of has that uh, market unlock <laughs> the the kind of uh, breakup power ballad songs. Did you ever do "Torn" by Natalie Imbruglia? I did not. I thought it was too on the nose. It sounds <laughs> crazy because since you've been gone, also but... right, right. You're like no one will know my real feelings. <laughs> yeah, I did. I avoided with, like tears streaming down your face. Yeah, I avoided Alanis too because it was almost too angry mm-hmm. although I did do Carrie Underwood before he cheats as before she cheats which was um the angrier um karaoke choice that I made but no I liked the kind of like sad screaming Kelly Clarkson songs more. I like that this column starts rewarding close reading as well I mean you don't even have to be reading that close like there's the one uh where you advocate ignoring people who you run into if you're not in the mood to interact with them where you say There are the obvious people to avoid, people who hurt you in profound or ongoing ways. Or you write about going to the Met, about how every Mm -hmm. Friday you go to the Met and you find it to be a salvation. And you say, I came out of therapy one day in Chelsea somewhere, gasping for air, unsure of where to go or what to do. Um, Or the song on repeat article. Mm -hmm. Uh, The song is Smoking Section by (laughs) St. Vincent, which ends with, it's not the end, it's not the end, it's not the end, et cetera, et cetera. Um, (laughs) Did people start emailing you, checking in on you? Yes, um, they did. So I would say that by that point, most um, people who I was close with in my life, and that included my editors at Autostraddle, um, who are also good friends of mine, they all knew what was going on. But in terms of readers, I think 
they started to notice a shift and I started to notice a shift in the way that they were interacting with me too, the way that they were commenting. Um, a lot of people were picking up on things that I hadn't even written about yet and hadn't put in there. Um, I had other kind of friends that I wasn't as close with um, reaching out and asking like, hey, I read this and what's going on? And then, and then complete strangers doing the same thing. And then this all culminated in a column where you recommended the column for your consideration. <laughs> yes. Talk to me <laughs> about this specific article and why you decided to publish it. Yeah. Um, I had felt like by that point I had written around the issue of infidelity too much and it was something that I felt very pulled to write about because it was something that was occupying so much of my brain. I never wanted to write about it too early on um, while it was too raw. I think that there's there's a lot of problems in kind of the personal essay world right now and one of them is people not waiting enough time after something and so that was something I always wanted to consider. I also always wanted to consider empathy in the way I was going to write about it and the way that I was going to write about my ex, the way I was going to write about other people involved, um, which was the other reason why I wanted to wait. I didn't want it to come from this super, super angry and hurt place because I think that leads to really messy and sometimes mean writing and that was never what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be empathetic and thoughtful in the way I wrote about it and not have it be me writing about my ex, but rather me writing about what I experienced and what was like done to me and how I was dealing with that. I had written bits and pieces of that column already, um, and I kind of looked back on that and kind of wove it together into this, yeah, weird meta kind of um, slash like decoder to past columns where I was bringing a lot of that subtext to the surface and saying, you know, like, here is what specifically was going on. And then I just kind of closed my eyes and sent it to my editors. It was like, here's something, surprise. And what was the response to that coming out of sorts? Yeah, it was really, really positive for so many reasons. Um, it, I had a lot of people reaching out to me, um, a lot of readers, a lot of friends. And uh, the yeah, it was overwhelmingly positive. Um, people were very supportive. I also just felt better. It actually was healing in a way. Um, I think just being able to say it and not have to like hold it in anymore was really, really helpful. Um, yeah, my therapist was like, you seem different. <laughs> I was like, well, let me tell you, I published something. Do I have a recommendation for you? <laughs> Did you feel freed as a writer after you published that article? Because after that, you started dressing infidelity and breakups head on. Mm -hmm. Like there's a piece where you write about movies to avoid mm -hmm. when you're going through a breakup. It just opened up the series in a whole new way. I felt like before, I, again, I'd been writing around something and then all of a sudden I was able to write and actually confront it and actually write through it. And it, yeah, it, it changed the arc of the series, but I think all along I was headed in that direction. I just needed time to kind of get there. It made it a lot easier to write that series too because I was like, oh, I finally know what it is that For Your Consideration is. <laughs> it's really interesting reading it in reverse and sort of mm -hmm. reverse engineering it because it did start out, as you mentioned, just sort of like a flippant and fun mm -hmm. recommendation. You know, mm -hmm. here's something I like that you might like too. And now it's really morphed into a, here's what I'm going through in real time as I go through a breakup and here's what I'm learning and maybe this will be helpful to you as well. Yeah, for sure. What have you learned from this breakup process 
that you want to share with people? Like, is there a, a particular type of breakup style that you would advocate for? Oh. Like, there's <laughs> this relationship accountability spectrum that Esther Perel has, where it's like yes. ghosting to direct confrontation. Right. Um, I don't know. What What are your thoughts as somebody who's recently been through a breakup? Yeah. How, I mean, how best to do it? Yeah, I still feel very close to it. So it's like I'm still figuring it out. What I will say is that I'm a huge advocate for couples therapy, um, kind of no matter what state your your relationship is in. Um, and obviously, you know, couples therapy for us didn't lead to us, you know, staying in the relationship or anything. But I think that's OK. I think there's a misconception that couples therapy is necessarily has the end goal of staying together. I don't think that's really true. Um, and. I got so much out of that experience uh, that that is like my biggest piece of advice is like even if you don't feel like your relationship is heading toward a breakup, I think anybody can benefit from couples therapy. It doesn't matter your age or anything or how long you've been seeing someone. That'd be like my big piece of piece of advice. The other is just don't be too hard on yourself if your breakup feels messy, if it feels long. There's, you know, no way to, I think do a perfect breakup <laughs> and I don't think that exists some are obviously easier than others um, but I would catch myself kind of uh, being hard on myself for like how long it was taking and also just how much I was talking about it and I think that's also something that people need to be fine with like it doesn't matter if you're talking about your breakup all the time or in my case writing about your breakup all the time I mean there's always going to be some friends who are annoyed by that but don't listen to those friends. I think there's need. There's no kind of time limit on that kind of stuff. Sometimes you just have to talk about it. There's sort of a stereotype of gay women breaking up in ways that are, as you mentioned, messy or long or over-processed. Do you think that's fair? Um, I mean, it's hard because in my like personal experiences, the, some of the stereotypes have been true. Um, but I think I think it's just true for anyone. I think that breakups are just hard, um, especially if you've been with someone for you know long enough where you, there's friend group merges. I think that's always really difficult. Um, I think in New York, um, there's a tendency to move in with a partner really quickly, sure. and that's anyone, and that's the just real for money. trap. Exactly. Yeah. And that always complicates things, too, um, when all of a sudden your breakup is affecting your home and Who living gets situation. the rescue pit? Yep, you know? exactly. Yep. I'm dealing yeah, with stuff like that. And um, that's. I think that any breakup just comes with a lot of negotiating and compromise. And again, that's where like couples therapy, I think, is so useful. Just having kind of someone there to help you through that process. Has your ex read what you have written and published? Yes, um, she has. Uh, so that very first, um, the kind of four-year consideration, four-year consideration, uh, I had her read that ahead of time. Um, and I kind of told her, you know, I want you to see this. And if you're not comfortable with me publishing it, like, please let me know. If you want me to change things, please let me know. Um, that was not something that she had asked for. And even when I told her, she said, you know, you don't have to do that if you don't want to. But it was something that I wanted. Um, again, I really wanted to be empathetic in the way I wrote about it and not have this any of it be some sort of takedown. You are a writer and you have this platform through which you are working out your feelings and the demise of this relationship. I'm curious about if she ever feels like she's being tried in a court of public opinion and that she doesn't have a platform or does she have a platform? Like, did it inspire her at all to try and be more public about the breakup or like, quote unquote, tell her side of the story? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't really answer that for her. I mean, it's 
it w- it's an interesting thing to be a writer dating a non-writer, um, just like it can be a complicated and interesting thing to be a writer dating a writer. Um, I think both come with their own sets of complications. What do you think the future of this column will hold as you sort of start to move through the end of this relationship? Do you anticipate that it'll go back to sort of more mundane recommendations or is this <laughs> always going to be about breaking up in relationships um, now? Interesting question. Uh, I the series is taking a short break or or a long break. I'm not sure. It's going on hiatus um, soon. Uh, I am going to write some sort of goodbye iteration, but I was starting to feel within the past few weeks that it has kind of come to a natural conclusion. I always intended to uh, stop once I got to the point where I was really forcing myself to think about what to write about Mm -hmm. (laughs) once it became kind of more of a burden. What am I going to recommend this week? Yes, exactly. Um, Because it's every other week and that's a long time. And I've been doing it for almost exactly a year now. Um, So that's a lot. And I knew that I never wanted it to be like pulling teeth. So I I was starting to get closer and closer to that of being like, oh, no, what am I going to write about this week? And it just happened too often where I was like, okay, I think it's time. Um, And who knows, maybe I'll pick it back up. Maybe it'll look like something different later on down the road. Um, But yeah, I just... I, I just officially made that announcement today to my editors. Okay, you so very recent. Um, but yeah, it, it is going to end for now. And it was that was something too that was very similar to me deciding to write about the affair in the first place. It's just something that I felt it was like it's time. So, do you have any other columns that you are itching to tackle next? I don't know if what I do next will look like a series or what. I mean, I still write for Autostrado regularly um, and a bunch of other places. Um, I think I'm going to kind of take a little break and then see if something comes to mind. Because it's a format that I really enjoy. Um, I have a lot of freedom with it. And just as a writer, I feel very lucky to have even been able to do this column because it's not a very common thing that you see, like a writer kind of being given that much creative direction um, to write about whatever I wanted to write about every other week. It was a very special thing. So yeah, it's definitely something I would love to do again in some form. My producer, Isabel, has a question. Why haven't you recommended the soundtrack to The Hours, the original motion picture? (laughs) That's a good question. I sat down and wrote a draft of that, and it was too similar to the listening on songs on repeat, because that's what I do with The Hours soundtrack, is I listen to that soundtrack on repeat all the time. That's actually how I fall asleep at night. (laughs) Ah, Okay. I feel a little bit out of the loop. Is there something uh, special or intimate about the soundtrack to The Hours, the original motion picture? I mean, I just love the movie. It's very sad and gay, and I feel like that's what I am. (laughs) In um, the Venn diagram, you guys are both in the overlap. Exactly. Um, So I've always loved the movie. It's a beautiful score um, composed by Philip Glass, actually, and I don't know how I started listening to it all the time, but it just got to the point where I did. And now it's like in my blood. So (laughs) I listen to it to sleep. I listen to it when I'm flying on planes, just on repeat the whole time. Great. Well, that's a special bonus for your consideration. (laughs) (laughs) Only for our listeners. (laughs) Okay, Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I loved reading Kayla Kumari Upadja's post-breakup columns on Autostraddle, so I was extremely flattered when she asked me to do a guest installment of For Your Consideration. 
Okay, that's a lie. She didn't ask me to. Whatever, Kayla. But I did it anyway. In one of her columns, Kayla touches on the need to change your associations after a breakup. She mentions returning with a friend to the bar that was the site of a betrayal in order to forge new memories and exercise painful ones. This is helpful advice, but I'm going to go a step further and offer, for your consideration, going to Alaska. I don't literally mean going to Alaska, except I kind of do. And if you have the ability to drop everything and piss off to Alaska for a few weeks or months, I wholeheartedly recommend it. Literal Alaska is life-changing. Some years ago, as my ex-wife and I were burning it all to the ground, I got an unexpected job offer that took me to the wilds of Southeast Alaska. For two months, I lived on what can only be described as a barely buoyant five-story barge made out of trash, commuted to indoor plumbing via skiff, and learned to handle a gun. You know, for the bears. But not all of us have traded our employer-sponsored health insurance for the opportunity to live on a garbage without plumbing or electricity. So if you're going through a breakup and you can't make it to literal Alaska, find your metaphorical Alaska. Go to a place you've never, ever been before. A place that in no way reminds you of your ex because you have no old associations at all. This could be the Kalahari Desert or it could be an Uzbek restaurant in Rigo Park. Seek out the type of community that forms in remote, rural places. Community that is built not on shared interests or mutual flattery, but on an innate understanding that we need one another for survival. Because one day the canister that holds the fuel for your generator is going to get tipped over by a territorial mink, and then you're going to need your neighbor to come through for you. Try something new that you are bad at. Like, really bad at. Revel in how bad at it you are. Lean into all those post-breakup feelings of, why would any person want to date me anyway? I can't even get a temperamental two-stroke engine to start. And then do it again and again, maybe asking for help from this newfound community of people who are helping you survive, not because you're cute Sunday brunch friends, but because you will also help them survive when they need it. Until suddenly, you know how to do something that you didn't before. Feel great about yourself. And then teach someone else. Eat some crab. It's delicious. Do something hard entirely on your own. Something that is much easier when you have someone else to help you, but do it yourself anyway. Cook a multi-course, technically challenging meal. Plant and maintain a plot at your community garden. Build an elaborate outhouse with a half wall so you can see the dolphins making their morning rounds. Invite loved ones to share it with you. Perhaps most importantly, spend time in nature that makes you feel very small under stars that remind you that as infinite and complex as your problems are, the universe has you beat. And that is the show for today. If you liked what you heard, the best way to show it is to lie cold, alone, and naked on your floor. Or you could review One to Be Can on iTunes, and please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. One to Be Can is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 